Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson, founder of Functional Health Info and the Functional Health Podcast. I'm trained in both biomedical science and nutrition, and I believe that a holistic and functional approach to health is fundamental to our well-being. I've set out to find some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine, from practitioners to professors and everyone in between. With this podcast, I will share with you their stories, their expertise and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives and providing you with simple tips and tricks to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to be talking to Dr. Deanna Minnick. Dr. Minnick is an internationally recognized teacher, author, scientist, speaker, and artist. She has authored six books on health and wellness and is current faculty for the Institute for Functional Medicine and the University of Western States. She has an innovative approach to health and wellness, bridging the gaps between science, spirituality, and art in medicine. I first got in contact with Deanna after reading her book, The Whole Detox, and subsequently met her at an event in London. So, without further ado, Deanna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. It's great to be here with you, having this conversation. So to give the listeners some perspective, you have created the seven essential systems of health, which relate to particular colors, emotions, organs, and certain foods. And just for the listeners, I'll put a link to these seven essential systems in the spectrum in the description below. Now, just to list them, there is the root system, which is red, flow, which is orange, fire, yellow, love, green, trust, which is aquamarine, insight, indigo, and the spirit, which is white. And I would like to touch upon as many as we can during this interview. Most people know that they should get a variety of fruits and vegetables in different colors in the diet for the variety of different nutrients they contain. But you have managed to tie in a more artistic, spiritual element to the color of foods and linking it to our emotional and physical states. Can you explain why and how you began to develop this novel perspective? Wow, you said that really well. I don't think I've ever contextualized the seven systems in the way that you just did. Um, Yes, this is an operating system. It's a framework. It's a way to think about health and healing. And the way that I decided to put it together in its inception really came from, I would say, many different threads. So it, it came from my training as a yoga practitioner. So when I took my first yoga class several decades ago, it feels like, um, I was introduced to the, the chakra system, which in the East Indian mystical, spiritual, and even medical tradition, there's an acknowledgement of seven main systems in the body, yes. which coincidentally very much um, are, are parallel with the endocrine system that we know of in the medical literature. So that I found very intriguing. But then as I went on, you know, there wasn't much talk about these systems and food. But I started to notice that in the people that I was working with, that there were these patterns that I was starting to recognize that people that would eat certain colors of food or certain energetic properties that um, they would be eating from the food would all kind of tie back to these seven systems in some way, or at least that's how I saw it. 
So I fleshed out each of the seven systems into, um, of course, the color, which was more or less already in place. I put in the, the physiological systems that, for mo- the most part, they were already in place, but then I put my own observations into those. I brought in the psychology, kind of what I call the, the core themes. And my training is more in the realm of nutrition and lifestyle medicine. And that's where I use that information to complement what was already known about these seven systems. So what I would say is it's truly an amalgamation of, I would say, the ancient traditional system of looking at these these places in the body and also more of a Western scientific nutritional lifestyle orientation in the modern day. So <laughs> that's a long-winded answer to basically letting you know that it was a whole process. I've had many different teachers, many different mentors. I've experienced and read many different books and literature. So it's it's really not adherent to any one particular way that it's represented. It's it's unique. It's it's really how I have perceived the systems. It's it's wonderful how you've managed to integrate several different modalities and also ancient modalities into this uh, new novel system. Now, you've spoken about how diet is not the only aspect to health, and you refer to both the mind, body, and spirit frequently in your book, The Whole Detox, and also in the book, The Rainbow Diet. Can you explain why you find that diet, exercise, and supplementation alone are not enough in some instances to resolve certain conditions? Well, I know that personally, just for myself, you know, I struggled with a number of health conditions, mainly around my reproductive tract and also my my gut. And uh, what I w- was trying to do was basically heal them all using food and supplements. And I was successful to some degree, but not completely. I needed to bring in other modalities. I needed to bring in body work, massage, exercise, and um, acupuncture. I did creative arts and art therapy. So so there were many different things that I felt that I needed in order to make that entire picture of healing complete. And I do think that all of us have what I call blind spots. We have healing blind spots where we continue to go down one path thinking that we will be healed by that, but then not realizing that maybe we need to bring in other things as well, that the journey to health and healing is just a little bit more, more complex. So I think that food is a wonderful place to start because we have to eat every day and we have to eat multiple times per day for most of us. And so I think that we can start to help the body to recorrect a lot of the dysfunctional signaling and information that we've been given by bringing in good, healthy food. So I think that that's a wonderful place to start. But You know, sometimes we've had conditions for a really long time where they need a lot of undoing and reversal, and that could take a little bit more momentum than just food alone. So I do think that bringing in many different things can be uh, worthwhile, and I think it's important to do that with a team of professionals. You know, uh, even through my own healing journey, even though I myself am a practitioner we can't always see what our blind spots are or what we need to be working on. So it's great to have a team of people around us to help us along, whether it's a coach, a medical doctor, a massage therapist, uh, 
maybe um, we have some kind of um, movement coach. You know, I did so much uh, in the way of all these different modalities that, um, you know, I would kind of move in and out of several of them throughout the course of, of many years. And so I never, you know, felt like I was in a rut. I, I could move in between and just kind of intuit what I might need next. So, yeah, I, I do think that trying out different things is um, can be a good thing. And, you know, the way I look at it, if it's not hurting you and, uh, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of money, it's probably worth exploring to see how it might shift where you're at with your health. Something which comes up quite often or I hear quite often is people are often overworked or constantly focused on their job. Their mind is uh, just racing all the time. And often these people say they experience a much greater feeling of health when they have a creative outlet. And it's something which even advocates of lifestyle medicine rarely touch upon. And I know creativity is an integral part of the flow system in your books and is highlighted as an important part of a healthy lifestyle. Can you explain why you find this important and why it is associated with the color orange? I am so glad that you asked me that question. You know, you and I didn't truly discuss what you'd be asking me. And this is the question I always want people to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's a little bit different than your traditional nutrition-related question. Yes. And uh, this is really where I'm headed next, is into this whole area of creativity. Creativity is what I feel is... Um, it's an incredible healing force. It's life force. It's really what what moves us, what animates us. And so the way that I define creativity, and I think that it's important to do that first, because usually when you say creativity, people have these very limiting beliefs around what it means to be creative. So they think, oh, I have to have had to go to art school in order to paint, or maybe I had to go to uh, study music in order to play an instrument, or maybe I had to go to dance school in order to learn ballet or jazz. But you know, I, I really do think and feel and know from my experience that creativity is within all of us. You know, if you look at us physically, we are constantly recreating ourselves. We have cells within our body that are constantly turning over. We create emotions within us by having certain stimuli on the outside. We create our thoughts. You know, we are constant creators. And so we are truly artists. It's just that we may not all be painters. We may not all be musicians or dancers or poets or, you know, whatever the case may be. But we are all creators. And I do think that the new science of medicine is showing us that we are truly creating the reality that we live within. So I'm reading this very interesting book now. I, I have this fascination with quantum physics yes. and really looking at more of the subtle aspects of medicine and consciousness research. And what some of that uh, current research is now showing is that even science is creative and not as static and objective like we thought it was. And that perhaps we are living within a created reality with ourselves as the person creating it. And so it's a very interesting juxtaposition of being the creator of your own creation and living within that. But the the, the track back to health and healing is that I, I'm 
thinking that when people hear that, that they feel a sense of empowerment. The fact that you can create your perception, yes, which ultimately can create your reality, can tell you that you can shift in and out of certain perspectives that may liberate or confine you. And so to your point about creativity, which again, I'm very glad that you asked me this question. Creativity to me is the idea that we can in every moment harness our sense of awareness to make certain choices to create our next reality. You know, and a lot of this talk is going on now in certain circles. You know, I, I know that we're talking mainly about nutrition and lifestyle medicine on on your podcast. In other podcasts, you know, maybe they're talking about kind of uh, mindfulness, being in the present moment. I feel like many different disciplines, whether or not they're a part of functional medicine, it's like we're all kind of headed in that direction of empowerment, of awareness, of consciousness, of, you know, you, you even look at it within the medical literature as psychoneuroimmunology, yes. which is a fancy word for basically the science of the mind that connects into how we function in our nervous system and in the boundaries that we create with our environment through our immune system. So, yeah, we are creative beings. And um, I do think that if people went to a healthcare practitioner and that practitioner said, when was the last time you were creative? I think it would start to create a ripple effect of really contemplating and being in that space of what it truly means to be creative. And then to answer your last question about why is it orange, <laughs> <laughs> which is always, you know, we I have all of these colors and all of these themes. And so orange is the color that connects to more of the emotional sphere and emotions in my mind connect into, it's almost like these are the messengers of creativity. Many people feel bothered by emotions. They feel like, I don't want to feel angry. I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel grief. I don't want to feel disappointment or rage or mm -hmm. frustration. Yet they are natural emotions that we should all experience. Yes. And in fact, each of those is like a lure, a lure, like a fishing lure for us to experience some flow of creativity. So if we were to latch on to that and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to ride my wave of anger. Even if I look at um, Mark Zuckerberg and how he created Facebook, essentially, if you look at the story, at least according to the movie of how Facebook was created, it was created through a fit of anger with his girlfriend, yes. right? You know, you, you have an emotional event and there's something that comes out of that. But for most of us, we squelch and squash emotions, which means that we're actually repressing and suppressing our, our, our signs, our, our little lures to be creative in those moments. So orange is a warming color. It can be playful. It can be, um, kind of alerting. It's not as alerting as red, but it surely, I mean, all of the colors are actually quite emotional and creative, but I assign orange this color of playfulness and emotions because, um, you know, again, it, it kind of corresponds to the low body, the low body of the gut. And this to me is where we wield a lot of our emotions through us. And we also in women where children are created.
So it's kind of the incubator of physical creation. So that's why I went with orange. <laughs> Just to uh, highlight two points that you made, I read recently a book called The Biology of Belief by Dr. Bruce Lipton. Yes. Um, and, and that really opened my eyes to, to quantum physics. Uh-huh. And also you touched upon this mind-body medicine. And it's something which is rarely, is rarely ever covered in conventional medicine. Can you describe how you use it as a clinical tool? You know, it's it's everything that uh, is, is constantly happening. And there's no separation. It's not even like it's out there. It is. Um, and so I'll just take one simple concept in clinical practice, that of the placebo effect. Now, there's actually more than the placebo effect. Placebo in Latin, I believe, means to please. And so the placebo effect is essentially if you think that something is going to benefit you or please you, ben, you know, benefit you in some way in, in the realm of health and healing, that most likely your mental perception about that modality or active has some some sway and, and actually will impact the outcome. So, for example, there are studies on pain uh, in which uh, in patients with osteoarthritis, they'll give them some type of either a, a medication or a placebo, and they'll see even with the placebo a 40 to 60% reduction in pain. Or even uh, let's take another condition like menopause in the case of hot flashes or flushes uh, in, in which women um, get the surge of heat rising up from the torso into the, the, the chest and the neck and it's a very uncomfortable situation. There are many studies looking at hot flash reduction using either botanical remedies or even using uh, hormone therapies or placebo and placebo can give a response to reducing those hot flashes. So, wow. Yes. So if I'm using this term correctly, you can psychosomatically cause a certain condition as well as reduce the symptom of a certain condition? I would say yes. I would say yes. I, I do think that um, there are certain things that we can create through our thinking. Let's just take one example. Let's just say that we've got some anxiety about something. Um, you know, maybe we have to give a talk or a presentation or we have to go do a driver's test or we have to take a, an exam at school. These are things that normally stress people out. So, or maybe even take an airplane ride. You know, I know that for some people they have a fear of flying and maybe for somebody else they have absolutely no fear of flying. But in their mind, they go down this track of paranoia and they start to create a somatic response to the event, even when it hasn't happened. And so what can happen is that the body goes under the stress response. We get an upregulation of, of inflammation. Uh, there can even be leaky gut that occurs. So already just through the mind, the body is responding. And, and I'll even take a non-conscious state, a non-waking state. Uh, let's go into dreams. Look at how many people have nightmares. They're not even actively thinking in their conscious waking life something, yet their body's responding. You know, maybe they wake up in, in, a, in a sweat because they're, they, they were so worried or they had some outcome in that dream. 
um, you know, the power of the mind, whether it's in the waking or non-waking state, to change our physiology and our psychology is immense. And the fact that we have removed that layer of mind-body medicine from traditional medicine and traditional care and really, you know, talking about it. You know, I do think that most medical doctors do recognize the placebo effect. In fact, um, I believe that there was a survey some years ago saying that most medical doctors, it was a very high percentage, if I recall correctly, something on the order of 80 to 90 percent of physicians do believe that there is such a thing as placebo effect. And, and this is making me think of another study, which comes from the Framingham Heart Study. This is a large cohort of women. I think it was something on the order of 40,000 women in this study over time. And what they showed was that women who believed that they were going to have a heart attack or, so, or some type of heart event were four times as likely to have a heart event compared to women who did not believe that, who had the same risk factors. So it's almost like, well, what does that tell you? The power of the mind is is immense. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And those statistics speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I would like to touch upon, and I think this ties in quite nicely, is uh, the first system of your program, which reson resonated with me the most, was the root or red spectrum. And how people may become, as you phrased it, I believe, detached from their physical body, which is associated with adrenal dysfunction and fatigue. Now, can you explain to listeners how red foods in particular support your adrenal health and your body in general, uh, giving you this rooted state? I can tell that you really understand the systems and you've gone beyond just looking at the chart because you are asking very good connecting the dot kind of questions that shows me that you have a deeper comprehension of what's what's at play here. Great. So that that's a wonderful question. So um, so the idea of red foods, red colored foods, what makes foods the color red? Well, oftentimes it's the presence of certain red colored pigments. So certain phytochemicals like anthocyanins or astaxanthin. Uh, and sometimes, coincidentally, these foods tend to be high in nutrients that support those systems that are connected to survival, like you mentioned, the adrenal glands. So in the Rainbow Diet book, I talk about, I, I have chapters for every color. So I have the red root chapter, the orange flow chapter, and within the red root chapter, I talk about how many of these red colored foods, and I'll give you some examples, things like like acerola cherry or red bell pepper or cranberries or strawberries are actually relatively high in nutrients that can support the adrenal function, things like vitamin C. Yes. In fact, I, I just looked into it, into the literature, and I went to, you know, we have a nutrient database, the USDA nutrient database, and I looked at the, the high vitamin C-containing foods, and it was quite amazing that out of the list of the top 20 um, a good number of them were red in color. And this really speaks to what I do talk about in the Rainbow Diet book, the fact of how there seems to be a color code, that the color of foods may indeed coincide to some degree with different body systems. So the red in particular, as you were talking about, 
connecting to the body, the physical self, the identity of the self, and that translates into the immune system, the survival, the adrenal glands, the actual structure of the body, that there seems to be a correlation there. What else can we learn from the color red and how it can influence our physical and mental state? And also, if you can talk about this idea of a rooted state, how can people um, understand what that means? I had uh, another book called Whole Detox, and I would say that Whole Detox is a book where I dove into the science of each of the colors because I was kind of feeling like, you know, I don't want all the airy-fairy kind of just the marketing research on the color red. I want to know more about the color red. Like I scoured PubMed, Medline, and I went through the scientific studies, you know, looking in nature, how is red perceived, what is red about um, in physiology as well as psychology. And, you know, there wasn't a whole lot for each of the colors. For some colors, there was much more than for others. But what else I can say about the color red is that red, (laughs) red is kind of a polarizing color. Either people react to it, in some way they react to it, either They really love it or they really don't. Um, It's one of those colors that it's bold, it's passionate, and at the same time, it can feel angry, inflammatory, and reactive. It's almost like each of these colors is a spectrum onto itself, and so each of them have a personality, and I would even venture to say something that might sound a little bit out there, but I want you to go with me on this, and that is that each of the colors is like an archetype for healing. It's a messenger for healing. And so when we surround ourselves in red, we're feeding ourselves with a certain vibration or wavelength of light that is allowing our eyes to take that in and signal to the brain some kind of message, right? I mean, it's pretty straightforward if you're thinking about it, but most of us don't think about color in a therapeutic sense. Yes. So red might be a color that I would want to bring into my life if I needed more urgency, emergency, where I need some action. You know, it's kind of like, um, (laughs) you know, I need to, the people I meet who like the color red, I can always tell. And I'm always asking people what their favorite colors are. And what I have noticed just in my own pattern recognition is that people that like the color red, they're go-getters. They're the entrepreneurs. They're the action-oriented people who... Um, you know, they're, they're doers, they're passionate. Um, and, and so for those people that could help them to thrive, you know, they can really thrive off of red. Now for other people, they may feel a little bit too inflamed. They may feel challenged by things like blood relatives and family. You know, look at the metaphor here of blood, you know, what is red within our bodies? And, inflammation showing up as redness or, you know, just again, looking at how red signals some kind of an emergency. So somebody who's very inflamed and has a lot of itis type of conditions, I might want to gravitate to the cooling part of the spectrum. And I'll just give you a quick story, Ben. When I consult with people, with clients, I'm looking at so many things. Um, I'm looking at what they're wearing. I'll ask them about their wardrobe. You know, it's kind of an off question, but I had this one client who had just unbelievable inflammation. You know, she was, her face was red. 
She was in pain. I mean, she had all the classic signs. She had a number of different autoimmune conditions, not even just one. She had about three of them. Uh, and so, and she also had metabolic syndrome and, um, she was overweight, you know, she just had a number of things going on. So one of the things I noticed was that every time I would have a consultation with her, she was dressed in red. She had red lipstick on. She would had a red block. She dyed her hair red or like a reddish color, like a red orange, like everything was red. And it was almost like her body was speaking in the way of showing what was on the inside on the outside so I asked her I said and you know she kind of laughed and she divulged that you know even you know some of her undergarments were red you know just like everything like her socks were red you know things I couldn't necessarily see and so I asked her I said I want you to do an experiment I want you to shift from wearing all that red and I want you to start wearing blues and greens and I want you to see how that feels And she did. She did that straight away. And that's an easy fix. You know, that doesn't um, require anything fancy. It's just a matter of changing our psychological uh, landscape potentially through the input of different wavelengths in our environment. And so for her, yeah, she did feel a bit more calm wearing the blues and greens. It was a completely she even felt like a different person wearing the blues and greens versus when she was wearing the reds. And I I think, again, she was so driven and um, the driving part of her was not serving her. And so she needed to back away. So it was too overactive. Yeah, yeah. And so um, it's not that she needed the red. She kind of subconsciously, it was just coming out and it was coming out through her clothing. And so, yeah, you know, it's not to say that that's going to cure anybody, just changing the color of your clothes. But you know what? It sets up a a different template. You know, what is epigenetics? It's the interaction of one's environment with their gene expression. And so we start to change our environment. And think of how many times people are seeing themselves, seeing their clothing, that also is being seen by other people that can change interactions and dynamics. I mean, they always say if you go to a job interview, you wear the color red, right? It's like the power suit. Yes. Um, I even made a I, – I made a, it's funny you even asked me about this because I just posted on my Facebook page yesterday uh, that uh, when in London, wear the color red. And I was wearing a red dress for a talk I was giving. And I did that deliberately because London to me is a very – busy, crowded, uh, reactive, you know, I was trying to like make sure that I stayed present through the color red because you can't check out when you're in a big city city, you need to be present, alert and vigilant. And so I was like, (laughs) I'm wearing red. (laughs) It just shows the true power of these colors that they can have even just by seeing them. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I'm not the only one saying this. You know, there's some great research by um, the Samueli Institute, which is in the United States. They've done some research on what they call optimal healing environments, optimal healing environments, O-H-E. If you Google it, you'll come up with some really interesting research that they looked at many different things as it relates to healing. Like if you're in a hospital, what are the colors on the wall? Um, do you need a window in your room? What if you have a picture of a forest or some kind of nature? I remember seeing a, a study not too long ago, probably about a year ago, 
showing that when prisoners, I think it was prisoners that they looked at, when they had a poster of uh, some kind of nature uh, landscape, whether it was a forest or an ocean or something, that they had less episodes of anger compared to those who did not have this visual stimuli of looking at something calming. So, yeah, I think, uh, and so then when you start to look at ancient traditions like feng shui and the science of space, and I know that this is so tangential to everything we're talking about, but you know what? It's not because um, our who we are is is so reflected in what we have around us, right? You know, again, epigenetics, and that's why. And also, the the people yeah. that we surround ourselves with. Absolutely, absolutely. Our tribe is is part of that red root, and our tribe defines us in in many many ways. As does the space. You know, if you think of when you walk into somebody's living space. What are the, the photographs they have? What are the, the art? What, what is, is it cramped? Is it crowded? Is it chaotic? Is it cluttered? What does that space say about them? Sometimes when, I, um, when I'm doing a detox program with, with people, I, I have a 21-day detox program. We spend three days before we even start the detox, and I have a series of activities for those three days, and one of them is clean and clear your space. And what I say to everybody is that your space is a reflection of you. And I don't know if I, I think that you're probably sensitive in the way of, you know, just like me, if, if you're in a space that doesn't feel conducive to kind of having, um, you know, just feeling uplifting or feeling inspirational, it can really change you. Yes. You know, the, the space can change like the lighting and all of those things. And so I think that we have to look at our base. My dad would call it your base. What's your base? What's your foundation? And that is the root. The root is where you live. It's where you anchor into, whether it's your DNA, your home, your living space, your community. It's what defines you at a very deep level. And just to build on this, um, people which I would define as from what I've read as having a fairly strong root and I often hear this from my friends people I meet they feel unmotivated whether it be in their job projects they are currently doing or even progressing on with their relationship would I be right in saying that these people would constitute as having an underactive fire in your color spectrum and how would they go about correcting this if this is the case. Yeah, very good. So each of these colors has a spectrum and either the spectrum goes from very pale, which would be underactive to super saturated, which would be overactive. So what you're asking about is um, if somebody who, you know, let's just say that they've kind of lost the drive, they've lost the work life balance. Um, you know, they're, they're, they just don't have the initiative at work. They, they don't um, get inspired to achieve and to accomplish anything. They don't have a, a sense of goals or even the ability to transform. Transformation is a key word for fire, uh, which is the color yellow. So in the seven systems, now you, you've moved from the, the red root into the yellow fire. Yes. And so, yeah, when we, when we feel kind of lethargic, we... You know, it's almost like our, we're burnt out. You know, I, I know that in, in America, we often say 
you know, I feel burnt out. I feel fried. I'm burnt to a crisp. You know, we have these kind of expressions in our language, which denote that it's kind of like we're done. We've given up because we are just so we've exhausted ourselves. And what usually end up ends up happening here is there's a physiological connection often to our digestive fire. So what ends up happening is that these folks may also have gut issues, leaky gut issues, or, you know, maybe their stomach lacks the fire, the actual heat and acid that we need for the breakdown of things like protein. So we start to get issues with indigestion, acid reflux, um, we might have um, ulcers, you know, just think of how we may you know, some of those conditions also can be overactive fire too, where we have too much boiling within us. Um, but essentially, you know, when we don't have sufficient transformative ability, and maybe it's because we've just exhausted what we have inside. Yeah, we, we kind of sometimes that physiology can translate uh, even deeper into the psychology and vice versa, where it's kind of like we we feel the sense of apathy where we don't we feel kind of like that couch potato, which is actually a good analogy for the fire because the fire is all about carbohydrate. You know, when we spoke about the root, you asked me about red foods. I didn't proceed to talk about the other foods that are for the root and really stabilizing our sense of feeling grounded, uh, one of which is protein. But yes. when we talk about the fire, it's about carbohydrate. And it's about how do we sustain our energy? How do we keep chugging along? How do we keep our fire burning bright, our sense of energy? And for many people, when they don't feel energized and they're sluggish at work, one of the first things that they reach for is uh, perhaps coffee, soft drinks, energy drinks. They go for sugar. They go for anything to get that, that temporary lift and that's exactly what it is. It's temporary. It's kind of this roller coaster where initially we get that infusion and then it quickly leaves us. And then we have to go for another injection. It's almost like we need to, uh, again, light the match. And the easiest, fastest way to do that is oftentimes with sugar. So these folks, I think, the, the folks you just described, I think sometimes there's a, a missing, a longing for sweetness, you know, the, a sense of joy in one's life. And if you like what you do in your work, that that becomes your sense of joy and sweetness. And so then you don't need to look for it on the outside. That's wonderfully put. And I think everyone's familiar with the old adage, if you love your work, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot to people, really, of how important that is, because you work for the majority of your time whilst you're awake well we used to be everyone seems to certainly do that in london and i'm sure it's the same in the u.s so it's so important to enjoy your daily activity well you know i was just having a conversation today with josh as a matter of fact and he mentioned something about how you know we want insurance kind of that health insurance metaphorically speaking so that during our golden years we can retire and we can be active and do those things and i say why wait for the golden years like why wait for retire? What is retirement? To me, that's just an illusion. I think that why look forward to something like that when we can be 
squeezing the joy out of every day as we're living it so that we're not looking forward to the weekends. We're not looking forward to the evenings. And not to say that we don't need to get away from even things that we love to do. You know, my husband um, kind of laughs at me because he says, Deanna, you're always working. And I say, but Mark, it's not work. I love (laughs) I do. It's not to say that, um, you know, I, I can probably rev myself down a little bit and come out of overdrive because, you know, I, I've been much better about self-care and moving up into the green of the heart. But um, I do get a lot of fire and charge from doing the work that I do. So for me, it's it's not work. It's it's not I don't even like to call it work because that would denote that there's some kind of like, oh, it's laborious. It's you know, it's heavy. It's demanding. Um, but it's it's really enjoyable. And I think if we can connect uh, if we go up the seven systems into the spirit, which is the color white, if, if we can find the spirit, the purpose, the meaning, the interconnection that really, truly infuses who we are at more of a spiritual, non-physical level, then that starts to radiate through everything we do, including the the actual tasks that we choose to do on a daily basis that we could contextualize as our work. When reviewing your systems, I thought there, were, there are probably many people who have an imbalance with the trust, which you've linked to the color aquamarine, and the insight, which is the color purple, purely because it can be quite difficult to consume these foods in the spectrum on a daily basis. So what system or systems are commonly imbalanced in patients that you see clinically? Well, I actually have some objective data on this. Great. So I've done, I have this questionnaire online. Um, it's on the whole detox.com site. Fantastic. I will link that in the description below. Okay, great. And uh, I would also say just even do it for yourself. It's always changing, by the way. Just because we have an imbalance one day doesn't mean it's going to be the same like in a week. It's kind of like a lab value, you know, so we need to track it. And for some people, there's kind of a pattern where... Yeah, they tend to have the same issues time and time again. Um, but anyway, I through the website, I've collected uh, data anonymously on people's scores. And what I tend to see is that 80% of people, about 80%, 8-0, have an imbalance in their fire system. So that's the yellow. That's our outward sense of performance and energy and drive to make our way in the world, the external world. And that is so interesting. Yeah. It and it's um and I've even done it internationally. So this is not even just an American thing. This is anybody who's done the questionnaire, um, yeah, it just seems like fire is something that we struggle with, which kind of makes sense because fire is not an easy element to master. <laughs> you know, it burns bright. You've got to turn it down. You know, once you get a raging fire going, you know, it's it's an interesting element. And in the body, um, it can, you know, you, you look at, um, you know, again, digestion and how important that's become in functional medicine. The second system of health where there seem to be most issues is your favorite, which is the root. So right. yeah, and, and often what I, I tend to see is root and then fire for many people. And then the third is the flow. So it's really those those warming colors which are more of the physical 
body systems, I would say, um, you know, the, the cooling colors are much more of the non-physical parts of who we are, but the warming colors are the physical. And I think that, you know, we are spiritual beings in a human body rather than human beings living out something spiritual. We are, you know, I, I, at least that's my belief. That's Stephen Covey's phrase, you know, this idea that we are truly spiritual first before we're physical. And so it's no surprise to me if that's truly the case that we would be having more issues in our physical everyday life of body, emotions, and uh, how we externalize ourselves compared with uh, things like our, our sense of truth or our intuition or love, you know, things that are a little bit less tangible. So that's what I've seen just from an objective standpoint. And uh, there are patterns, too. This is really interesting. So I do have a certification program for practitioners. And what I teach is how do you correct a system imbalance? What are the ways to do that? And what what are some of the patterns that show up? Like, um, you know, if you have a flow, if you have an orange color imbalance, does that typically coincide with a truth aquamarine imbalance? Um, one pattern I tend to see is root and spirit, the red and the white that tend to coincide. So usually if one is high, one is low. So I talk about, even though I'm presenting these as like Christmas tree lights, kind of a circuit, I do think that the circuit is somehow circular and very interconnected like a web, but there are certain relationships within the circuit that are very defining and sometimes are patterns that present in people. And I suppose you can use it to identify certain conditions, what approaches or interventions might work for some people yeah. and not others, depending on which system is overregulated or underregulated or overactive or underactive, as you put it. Exactly, exactly. And I, I actually go through that in the whole detox book. I have um, it's a really practical book because then I have um, underactive, overactive, and then I give suggestions for things that you can do. And then if you want to work with a practitioner who has been trained in the framework, there's a way to do that through the directory of the certified food and spirit practitioners. Something which is, seems to be quite popular now or certainly gaining in popularity is this idea of intuitive eating. Now, is it possible to train yourself to intuitively know what your body needs to stay in balance within these seven systems? Yes, I do believe it is possible. Um, and, it, you know, it takes practice because not many of us are on a regular basis exercising our intuitive muscle. We, yes. we tend to go more to the intellect, more to the external, rather than turning on the inside and going with more of our experience. So sometimes it takes some baby steps to just focus on simple things like body awareness, sensations somatically, and then even doing some mindfulness type of exercises, right? And, and, and so there are some of those things that I do bring into my programs in order to help people with intuitive eating. You know, I, I don't, usually use that phrase. Um, there are certain definitions of, of how intuitive eating is defined, but the way that I see it is how we can just shed the books, shed the external experts telling us what to do and kind of go with what we really feel like is best for 
just in the moment. Like, I'll just give you an example of myself and where I've come in that journey, because I used to be very much, um, I would say in my head and I come from a disordered eating background. So when I was young, you kind of know my story, but basically there was a lot of restriction in my household growing up. And that led me to a lot of secretive eating and binging. And the way that I thought that I could really understand and overcome that was by going to study nutrition, thinking that I'm going to figure this out and food is not going to control me. I will control it by knowing more. And so when I went and studied and I did a a master's, a three-year master's, I did a four-year PhD, I continued on from that kind Mm -hmm. of training. And it was almost like, um, you know, the more you know, you can almost become uh, too inundated with knowledge and then it becomes too complex and then you kind of remove yourself from the basic core essential of what it means to be human and eat. And so I think for me, what happened in my process is that I did tap into creativity as part of my healing journey. Yes. Uh, Not much initially in the eating experience, but more in trying to heal myself of certain conditions. And when I started to apply that to my food and eating experience, it opened me up to a different landscape. And, And so, you know, I know that some people are against a diet mentality And I would say that I'm not necessarily against certain diets because I do think that if I hadn't tried all these different diets, I wouldn't have learned something about myself. But what I think is important as you traverse through diets and learn about yourself is that you have the locus of control, that each of us knows the most about our bodies so that we know when it's time to move away from an eating style that maybe isn't serving us. You know, I've seen people where they are on a diet, they're not doing very well, but they think that they need to be doing it. They're not checking in with a practitioner, but yet they're getting sicker and they're thinking that that's a healing crisis. So I do think it's important that we check in intuitively, that we check in with practitioners just to help us with any blind spots that we might have. Uh, And even now, you know, I am not a dietary dogma person. I I do feel that rather than saying that I'm keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, whatever the word is, really what I do even now for myself, now decades later from being in that state of disordered eating is I really come from a place of, you know, what feels right right now. And I always get the question from people, Deanna, what about travel? You know, how do you manage that? You know, there's so much fear. But I also know that fear has power to cause inflammation and stress in my body, which can change how I digest food. So I, you know, I try to balance it all. And I kind of go with the experience of making the highest choices whenever I can. And and really to come from that place. I think this segues quite nicely into the question. I've I've been studying the research of the anthropologist Weston A. Price and more recently the Blue Zones by Dan Buetner, where he studies populations where they have the most amount of centarians. Now, Weston A. Price has found that quite a lot of the populations had a higher fat diet. When Dan looked at the highest populations of centarians and found it was primarily a higher carbohydrate approach, 
what do you what's your opinion on these two dietary lifestyles and do you think there is no dietary pattern for everyone or do you think there's a, a widespread recommendations that could work that's a brilliant question it's a really um excellent excellent conundrum in fact tomorrow the whole day i'm lecturing on the eating conundrum i i actually use that word and um Yes. You know, you and I could both go into the literature right now <laughs> and within an hour's time, we can find if I wanted to find all the studies that were against eating meat, I could do that. And you could find studies that were pro eating meat or take anything or dairy or gluten or whole grains or it, vegan, vegetarian, whatever it is. Yes. You and I could find um, diametrically opposed research to support either case. So what this tells me is that we have to look at the greater whole rather than zooming in and getting so specific and making broad sweeping generalized comments about food for an entire population of very diverse people with different genomes and environments. I think that the direction we need to go into for the 21st century is that of personalization. I don't think we have a choice. I think if we do anything else, um, it's really ignoring the emerging science coupled with all the technologies, the diagnostics, everything that we know about what it means to be personalized in care. And that is really one of the definitions of functional medicine is that it is individualized to a person's biochemistry, genomics, and epigenetics. We're not all the same. But that said, let me just zoom out for a second and okay. say that while I am not a fan of division, dogma, or diets, I am a fan of what creates unity. And all of us do have to eat. We are unified through the food and eating experience. And I do think that plants are a unifying factor. So if anybody wanted to put a tag on me, they would say she's plant-based. And I would say that's probably correct because all of us, whether you're flexitarian, you eat anything, you're on an elimination diet, you're paleo, you're keto, whatever, all of us can share in the eating experience through colorful plant foods. You know, if, if it's very rare, and I'm always asking audience, who here eats no plants? And I've never had a person raise their hand. Yes. Because yeah. we have spices, there are, you know, maybe we don't eat all the same plants, but all of us in some way, even if it's, if it's a little sprig of uh, mint, you know, <laughs> we're eating plants, you know, and that's, that is what unifies us as, as humankind. And so I do think that while we need to diversify and there's no one set way for everybody to eat, I do think that what we can collect and unify on is making sure that we include plants because plants, if you look at them, I mean, plants were here be before humans. They are fit to survive. They have biomachinery that allows them to create metabolites that act as pesticides, insecticides, and herbicides. You know, plants are wise. Yeah. In, in fact, there is a, um, uh, a great podcast that I was listening to called Smarty Plants, where, you know, just listening to the research coming out about how trees communicate. You know, we may not think that 
other life forms are as intelligent as ours. But I would say that that's only because we don't understand their consciousness and, and how they're actually communicating and the intricacy and interconnection of everything on this planet. Yes. So plants are where, where it's at. Absolutely. I was talking to Dr. Robert Kirk from the Alliance of Natural Health International uh, just before this podcast. And he was saying, or he touched upon how glucosinolates found in cruciferous vegetables have protective properties in the plants to protect them against insects, bugs, and disease, etc., but also have highly beneficial properties for us when we ingest them. So the connectedness that you're talking about is, is everywhere. It is everywhere. And I really, really like um, Rob's work. He's done a lot of work on soil. And, you know, you just look at soil, the microbiome of the soil and how the interconnection of that, you know, that primes our food and that primes the trees, that primes the plants. I mean, yeah, there, there's just so much. So anyway, yeah, your, your question is really good. And, and I would say... Again, personal the two P's, personalization and plants. I know we're coming up on time, but I've just got a few questions I seem to ask everyone that comes on the show. How integral do you think is the integration and collaboration of primary healthcare and complementary and alternative medicine professionals? It's, uh, it's a requirement. I think that it's, if we're going to have a medical system that is sustainable, regenerative, and actually gets results uh, in such a way to uh, blunt any kind of cost impact and, and to help people's quality of life, uh, I do think that we need complementary care. You know, I see it as holism you know how do we bring all of those those rivers of healing into one which is why i love irrefutable health you know this idea of having an integrated health center connected to a restaurant connected to education i mean that is just a brilliant model i would hope for more of that uh, i do see it as the wave of the future in the 21st century that we're we're doing more and more of that and and practitioners of various disciplines talking to one another about you know really how they see a condition and i think if we it, it's like the old adage of you know we have many people uh who have their eyes covered up touching an elephant right and kind of getting perspective on that part of the elephant but it's not really seeing the whole until we start to talk about everything that we're noticing from our vantage point. So I think it's essential. And just one last question. Can you provide the listeners with three bits of advice to help improve the health, body, or spirit? Yeah, and um, my, my favorite number is the number three. So these are the three that I usually give to people. Um, color, creativity, and variety. So making sure, so with color, making sure that you've got colorful food, Eating colorful food leads to colorful living. Number two, creativity. And we talked a lot about that. And there are all different ways to be creative, even being creative about being creative. <laughs> and then number three, making sure that you've got more variety, getting out of those rooty ruts and trying out new things that, you know, um, I just posted on my Facebook page today about a study showing that eating popcorn with chopsticks versus eating it with one's hands led to a more 
inspiring experience. And it was just because the, the popcorn wasn't different. It was that we approached it with new eyes and a perspective, you know, and that creates neuronal plasticity. So shake up your routine, do something different, and that will enable you to have a different life perspective. And who knows where that'll take you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that valuable information. Now, just quickly, can you let people know how to find you and what projects you're currently working on? Yeah, best way to find me is um, I have three websites, but the main website is deannaminick.com. So it's D-E-A-N-N-A-M-I-N-I-C-H.com. I also have another website, foodandspirit.com, and then whole, W-H-O-L-E-detox.com. I would say, you know, I'm pretty active on Facebook under Deanna Minnick, PhD, and uh, as well as Instagram. So typically what I do every year is I do an online program. I do a lot of uh, practitioner training, actually. And so a lot of practitioner training programs this year, I did one on foods and supplements. It was 16 weeks long online. And I'm um, doing a certification program from September to December. So lots of things happening. And I would say every year I try to create something new. So I would say just to sign up for my my email newsletter so that you can be on the pulse of uh, what's being offered when and see if it resonates for you. Well, Dr. Minish, I've really enjoyed our talk today. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It's been a real pleasure and I hope that we can do this again soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Deanna Minnick. You can find links to Deanna's books, website, and training programs in the show notes, as well as everything else that we discussed today. If you want to support the podcast, please subscribe, and don't forget to check out the other episodes available in the series. I would love it if you got in touch on social media, through Instagram and Twitter, and let me know what you think. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support.